It's been wonderful worshiping with you this morning. And I actually have learned something in the few minutes that I've been here. The very first song that was sung, I know that song, but I've heard it being sung in, I think, in South African language. I never knew what it meant. I've loved the tune up and and so when I when you guys started kind of singing it, I thought, okay, I never really understood that that was what it was all about. Right, so praise God, I've learned something new. And it's interesting, it's amazing that in the presence of God, his, you know, the word tells us that his fullness is there. You know, when we come in his presence, he, he meets with us, doesn't he? He says where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is in the midst of them. And I thank God that we serve a God who is awesome in power. You know, he knows our future even before we get there. And before I go into the um, story of compassion, I was praying and I said, Lord, you know, what can I share? Because even before we talk about child sponsorship and compassion and all of that, really what we do is because it's really in scripture. We are a child development um, organization, releasing children from poverty in the name of Jesus where we go alongside the local church to really equip them to be at the extension and hands of the hands of feet and feet of Jesus, to be that beautiful um, city that is set on the hill, reaching out to children, because that's really what God has called us to do. But often, every time it is necessary that before I go into the story of compassion, I kind of say to myself, you know, God, whenever I go to church, I really want to hear a word from God. Ultimately, that's part of the reason why we're here. And it's amazing that he's already spoken to us this morning, hasn't he? But before I came, as I was praying a few days ago, I, I felt like God had given me a word um, and a title, and I'm not very good with having titles for some of the things I want to share. But the title I had and I have for you this morning is this, what is God calling you to do? What is God calling you to do? Obviously, God has spoken this morning using different people, and in all of those messages that has come in, come, there's a message and a word for each and every one of us. But I wonder, before you heard that message this morning, as an individual, I want you to take the time to think, did, do you feel or did you think that God had a calling on your life? And often when we hear the word calling, we sometimes think about, oh, maybe it's ministry. Maybe it's got to do with God calling you to become a pastor or some evangelist or something. You know, what, we kind of like to put things in and great things. So we kind of feel it has to be something significant like Paul's conversion. You know, how God really had this, he had this encounter with God. And you're thinking, unless God does something dramatic with me like that, perhaps he's not calling me to do anything. But I remember as a teenager reading a book by, by um, Dr. Miles Monroe, who's going to be with the Lord, called In Pursuit of Purpose. And that book basically talked about the fact that God has a plan for everybody's life. And when you're born, he puts you here on earth for a purpose. And so really and truly, our life's journey is about for finding what that purpose is and fulfilling that purpose. And over the years being a Christian, I have come to really believe not just because I read a book that said that, but because I've come to realize that truly God has a plan for our lives. And I like to use the word, we're on assignment. 
And so whether you're a mother, a parent, once you've got children, guess what? He's giving you an assignment. That assignment could be your children. You might be a grandparent. He's giving you an assignment. It could be your grandchildren in your neighborhood. God is giving you an assignment. It could be that he's called you to really show love. Even as a church community, you will have an assignment. Sometimes we know it, sometimes we don't. But I really want us to look at two people in Scripture. Um, and one of the first person I want us to kind of think about is Gideon. And I just love the story of Gideon in Judges chapter 6. Um, if you could turn to Judges chapter 6, I'm going to read a few, couple of verses from there. Um, and I will be reading from the Amplified Version. So for those of you that don't know the story of Gideon, it's basically about the Israelites being oppressed by the, by the Midianites. And um, in, in chapter, um, verse, chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Then the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And if you go to verse 5, it says, For they would come with their livestock, that is, the Midianites, and their tents. And they would come in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were innumerable. So they came into the land to devastate it. So Israel, in verse 6, was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. God has already told us in a word we had this morning that when we cry out, when we call on him, he answers. And we're going to see that he did answer. For it says in verse 7 that now it came about when they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, that the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you. Verse 9, and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live but you have not listened and obeyed my voice. So in other words, God was saying that these things have come about because of these, you basically not obeying the instructions that I've given you. So these people are crying out to God. And do you know that I've come to realize that often, you know, even in our generation now, Jesus, when we were born in sin and God needed to rescue us into, to himself, he sent his only begotten son. And often when somebody is praying in their closet saying, God, I need help, whether it's a job that you need, whether it's somebody to assist you, perhaps you're bedridden or whatever, he's going to send somebody. He has to send a human being to come and help you out. So in verse 11, it says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebrin tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, and his son Gideon was beating wheat in the winepress instead of the threshing floor to hide it and save it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O brave man. But Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all his wondrous works which our fathers told us about? When they, when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up, up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in this strength of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? So again, I ask the question, what has God called you to do? Gideon was amongst the men 
of Israel who were complaining, kind of thinking, Lord, you know, we're not going to come out of this. These people keep coming. We've done, there's no strategy. There's nothing we can think of doing to break free from the oppression of the Midianites. But until the Lord came and spoke to him, he probably didn't even think or consider himself significant or worthy to be able to make a difference, to be able to be used as a vessel that God would use to really bring about the great deliverance that the Israelites needed from the people of Midian. And so even as a church in this community, there might be certain things in the community that you're aware of and you're thinking, God, you know, we would love to do something about it, but then you're probably thinking, but how are we going to do it? Whether it's because of the numbers, whether it's because of the resources that you need, or perhaps in your family, there are people who do not know Christ and have not given themselves to Christ. And you would love for them to come to the Lord and you keep thinking, but God, you know, and you keep going to God and you're crying out to God and you're like, God, and maybe God is tagging your heart and has been saying to you, go and share the word. And you're thinking, but I'm not a pastor. What am I going to say to them? But I love the fact that, that when you read on, we come to realize that Gideon really obeyed God. And it tells us that before the angel of the Lord went, you know, left him, he went and brought a sacrifice and he gave the sacrifice and everything. Then I think that because God had said to him that go in this strength of yours, I believe he came to the resolve and said, perhaps, you know what, if God has said it, I'm going to do it. He was fearful when you read on. You will find that there's a time when God says to him, tear down your father's idols and everything. And the Bible tells us that he was so afraid that he decided to do it at night. He was afraid, but he did it anyway. And so even in reading the scripture and the story of Gideon, we learn that sometimes, you know, when God instructs us to do something, we may not be sure whether it's God who's speaking to us or whether it's our voice or whether it's somebody who's telling us to do something. And so we realize that even with Gideon, he had to give God a fleece and he had to say to God, God, if it's you really telling me to do this, give me a sign. And so the question is, has God, do you have a thought or an idea that you feel God is really calling you to? And you've perhaps never taken the step because you're not sure. If you're like that, you perhaps need to go back to God again. We've heard God tell us this morning that we should seek his face. And in doing so, he will speak to you. He will some way confirm if he's the one calling you to do that. Again, in Gideon's story, we realize that, you know, if God is speaking to us and we acknowledge his voice and are willing to obey his instructions, then he begins to reveal more of his plan and he begins to give further instructions and he also gives us strength and he gives us guidance. So the, Gideon takes the first step. He does the first thing God tells him to do. Then as he does finished, he finished doing the first thing, God comes to him and says, now I want you to do this. And he keeps getting this word of instruction to the point where we know the story. When you go into verse chapter 7, it talks about how he and his men, he took 300 men and they went and fought and all of that. But it always, God will always begin to unfold more of his plan for your life. And the vision that he's giving you when you take that first step. And so though you may be fearful, one day, another day, you can become courageous. But it first starts with a mindset of saying that if the Lord bids me to come, you know, when we talk about um, the story about um, the disciple walking on, 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 on the water, 
And he says, you know, Jesus says, come, because he sees Jesus and he's like, if you said, Lord, I should come, then I'm going to come. And sometimes that's where we have to come to, where we say, Lord, if you're telling me to do this, then I'm going to trust you. I will take that first step. Obeying God's call requires sacrifice. It doesn't always come easy. And I love a song that says, he never told us that the road will be easy, that the hills and the mountains will not be hard to climb. He never promised a victory without a battle, but he will bring help right on time. It sometimes demands people's lives. And for those of us, I come from Ghana and, you know, in history, you're taught all these people came and they brought us the gospel, all these missionaries. And some of them did that, not because they had to, but they were so in love with Jesus. And they took seriously the word that says go into all the ends of the earth. There was no planes at the, in those times, but yet at the peril of their lives, they went and preached the gospel. And some of them did not make it back home. They paid a price. And so whatever it is that God has called you to do or is asking you to do or will ask you to do in future, there will be a price to pay. But in paying that price, he rewards faithfulness, doesn't he? Jesus came and died, and the word tells us that because of all that he went through, he's now seated at the right hand of the Father, and God has made his enemies a footstool. And when the reward came and the people of Israel were delivered, guess what? Gideon too had his freedom. He no longer had to be afraid of the Midianites coming to oppress the people of Israel. And it involves taking a risk. And so even as a church, as an individual, whatever it is that you feel God has called you to do, are you prepared to take a risk? And my mind goes to um, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were put, you know, in the fiery furnace. It was because they took a stance for the Lord and said, we're not going to bow down. We're not going to do what you're telling us to do because it will be against the command of God. They took a risk and they said to the point that even if he doesn't save us, we're willing to give ourselves over to death. If you turn with me to Exodus chapter 2, verse 5, there's another wonderful story of a woman there that I sometimes think, you know, people, I, I, I rarely hear um, messages about him, her really, and that is Pharaoh's daughter. So we know the story of Moses, great man of God that God used again to bring deliverance to the people of Israel. But the Bible tells us that when, at the time that Moses was born, the king had given a decree and said that you need to kill all the male children that will be born to the people of um, the Hebrew women because they were slaves. And the Bible tells us that when Moses' mother saw this baby that she had given birth to, she somehow knew that there was something special, something peculiar about this child that she had. And so she decided to hide the child. She took a risk. I don't know whether God spoke to her. I don't know whether she had a visitation like Gideon did. But at least we do know that looking back, we're privileged to read the story. But she didn't have anything to relate to back when this was happening. 
looking back for every one of us who is a child of God, we know that God was in all of that, wasn't he? And she looks at this child and she hides this child. And when she could no longer hide the child, I really believe Moses' mother was a woman of great faith. Because who in their rightful mind will put a child in a basket? And sometimes, I think depending on the version that you read, it tells you that the basket was put by the side of the river. Sometimes we're told it was in the river. Whichever way it is, no human being, no mother for that matter, will put, I don't know how many months he was, and you leave that child. But I know that she had faith. Somehow she too may have cried out to God in her closet, saying, God, you know, I have kept this child. You've got to show yourself strong. You've got to keep this child. And I know that she had faith. She had expectation. And probably that was why she decided to let Moses' sister stay in the corner somewhere, watching to see what was going to happen to this child. We fast forward. And if we go to verses, um, again, Exodus 2, 5 to 10. I'm just going to read that quickly. So while Moses' sister is hiding in the corner looking to see what's going to come of Moses, verse 5 tells us, Exodus 2, 5, now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile and she together with her maidens walked along the river's bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to get it and she brought it to her. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. And she took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a wet nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go ahead. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse her for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him, and the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son, and she named him Moses and said, because I drew him out of the water. I think Pharaoh's daughter is incredible, an incredible woman. Because here we, we are, when we read about the, you know, you read about Israel and the Pharaohs and how they were so proud and how nobody would dare disobey the order of the Pharaoh. And this was her father. And she blatantly decides, because when she sees the child, she knows that the child is the child that my father has given a decree to say to kill. And she decides she's not going to obey her father. I believe that was her putting her life at risk. I somehow believe that somehow that was probably part of the reason why when Pharaoh's sister comes and says to her, should I go and look for it? She's thinking, perhaps I need to buy time to see how I'm going to really get my father to know that this is what I've done. So she probably jumps at the idea and says, yes, take him, you know, because she probably needed some time. How am I going to break this whole news to my father to let him know that one, I've disobeyed him, because I can't just take this child to my father's house, the palace. She took a risk. But I think in this story, one of the things I learned, therefore, is that, you know, God can use anybody. Because when we read about the Israelites, we know that they were idolaters. They had all manner of gods. And so perhaps this Pharaoh's daughter, like them, didn't know the Savior, didn't know the God of the Israelites. Whether or not she had a voice, the story doesn't tell us that she had the same encounter, the same experience that Gideon had, where Gideon hears a voice that says to him, go in this thy might, I'm not called. But she probably had an instinct that said to her, the right thing to do is to save this child. 
what do we learn from this? That there are times when God calls us to do something. He may not speak audibly. He may not even send a prophet. He may not give you a word of prophecy. He may not send somebody to give you a word of knowledge. It just might be an instinct. And sometimes it's also that just because you hear something and you just find yourself in the situation and you know it's the right thing to do. And the one that comes to mind is the story of the Good Samaritan, where we all, you know, kind of get upset with the Levites and all these people that pass by. But in that moment, when the Samaritan saw this man bleeding to death, he says, you know, I can't just not leave this person and pass by. So the question is that when you see somebody who's begging by the street and comes across to you and says, can you give me something for, for you know, whether it's water or whatever it is, do you say, I'm going to, I need God, should I give, or I'm waiting for God to give me a word? I think the right thing to do will be if you're in a position to help that person, to help them, because that's what God will expect of us. And in this wonderful story of Moses, again, we realize that, you know, sometimes when we were called by God, I believe we, he, we require a certain amount of boldness, a certain amount of courage. It may not come easily, but I believe that once we take that first step of faith and we keep seeking the face of God, we keep having that constant communication because that was what Gideon kept doing. Each time Gideon would go, you know, and he'll say, God, what are you asking me to do? God, you know, if it's you telling me to do this. So there was that constant communication. How do we communicate with God through prayer? And he suddenly become, became bold. And I believe that over time, Pharaoh's daughter also got that boldness. And it was that boldness that eventually made her take Moses to her father's house and Moses became her son. When God calls us, we often need strategy. Gideon, when you read the story of Gideon and Pharaoh's daughter, they applied wisdom. They applied human strategy. And as I said, you know, Pharaoh's daughter probably thinking, let, let the baby go and live with the mother and, you know, I'm just going to think how I'm going to break the news. She must have done all of those things because there's no way she would just take Moses into her father's house if she hadn't communicated and warned the father ahead of time to say, I have found this child and this child is going to come live in this palace as my son. So whatever it says God is calling you, if you do not already have a strategy, you probably have to start seeking God's face and say, God, you know, what do I do? I am willing. But it all starts by you being willing. And compassion came about 60-odd years during the South Korean War when a, an American evangelist had gone to South Korea to preach to his countrymen. That's what he thought. And while he was there, he saw children dying in their numbers by the day. And um, he has a dialogue with God, and he says to God, God, you know, this is unfair. This is, you know, not right. What are you going to do about it, God? And he hears God say to him, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? The story goes that while he, on his way back to America, obviously in those days, the propellers of the plane, you know, um, would, would be going, and they had their own sound, and he kept hearing the word, what are you going to do about it? He goes... America shares the experience he had with his friends and a couple of you know some time back he went back to South Korea and set up an orphanage and that is the genesis of compassion 60 odd years we don't set up orphanages we want children to live with their own families their caregivers but as I say based on the story and the model of the Good Samaritan. And in fact, it was while I started working with compassion that I realized that our sponsorship model really 
the first person who ever did that was Pharaoh's daughter. I mean, who does that? Look after your own child, but I will pay you to do that. And that's what sponsorship is all about. Where for 25 pounds a month, you say to somebody who's really struggling to give their children access to education, to look after their healthcare needs, to even perhaps put food on the table. And you say to that person, you know, God has blessed me. And for 25 pounds a month, I want to bless you. I want to come alongside you because you could have another Moses in the making. And so we engage with local churches currently across 25 countries in America, in South America, um, in North America, no, no, South America, Africa, and Asia. And we go alongside the local church, who are the ones who identify the poorest of the poor children in their community. And they bring them into a project that is run by the local church. But the local church, as I said, is equipped by compassion with a holistic program so that we'll be able to, one, ensure that these children have their are catered for holistically. So sometimes you're talking about vocational skills training, any sort of training that would give them hope and let them know that God loves them. But in doing so, we also make sure that they have access to education their fees are paid for and so on and so forth and we'll typically take a child from the age of one right through to 22 or 20 years whenever they finish university or vocational skills um, training whichever one comes first and in that time they will hear the gospel and many of them eventually come to know the love of Christ and commit themselves to Christ because they see that practical demonstration of God's love for them because Everett Swanson, that's the name of the, our founder, responded to that call of God. I don't think he ever imagined that 60 odd years, there will be 1.7 million children across um, these 25 countries where we're working with close to 7,000 local churches in these 25 countries. And many more have been released from poverty. Some of them live here in this country, speak and, and share their testimonies from time to time. But it was because one man decided, had a voice, what are you going to do about it? Apply some of the things I've shared this morning. Sought the face of God. And one thing I do know and I've come to realize is that when God gives you a vision and he gives you an assignment, he will send helpers. And so guess what? Every sponsor is really a helper to really bring about the fulfillment of the vision that God gave to this one man 60 odd years ago. And so today, I've brought with me some photos of some children from, um, most of them I think are from South America. And I've got a beautiful girl here called Marcella. And Marcella's birthday was actually 17th of January, a few days ago. And um, so even today, as I have shared, obviously, one of the things Compassion says is that we can change the world one child at a time. If you feel that God is calling you to make a difference or you've always wanted to do something but have never known, how do I start? What do I do? At the end of the service, I will be at the back. Feel free. Come speak to me. And the key thing is that if you decide to become a sponsor today, I would kindly ask that you choose a child, you fill in your details, and you give me the completed form. But do know this, that I know and I know that God rewards faithfulness. And I have two sponsored children. My son, my oldest son is 11, and he's got a sponsored child of his own. 
Sometimes is it easy? No, it's not. I work part-time. But I realized that, you know, before I joined Compassion, I've always had a, a vision in my heart, and I'm going to share this with you. I've never actually said it. In, in, I think I've, this is the second place I'm saying it, where I said to God, way before I even came to Compassion, I said to God, is my vision. I want to have a sponsored, a, a, an adopted child from every continent of the world. That is a big thing, isn't it? But when Compassion came along and I started working for Compassion, I thought, okay, if I'm believing God, faith without works, the Bible says, is dead, isn't it? Which means that if you trust God, for example, you're trusting God for a job, you would need to fill in an application, you would need to attend an interview, you need to do all these things, and in doing so, then you can leave the rest that God, you can work out yourself to God. So I decided to have these two children that I'm sponsoring, and I'm trusting that by taking that step of faith, God is eventually going to bless me to have many more sponsored children and ultimately see that dream that I have come to pass. And I share this for you to know that perhaps even as a church, it's in that step. Once you take that step, it becomes easier to take the next step. And so for some of you, a child sponsorship might be your way to say that, God, I'm going to trust you for this big thing that you're calling me to do. And so I want us, before I sit down, just to take a moment, and I'm going to invite Steve to come. And if you feel that there's something God has called you to do, and perhaps you've never really taken the step, just use a few moments before he comes to pray and to talk to God about it. It may be a word of prophecy, maybe a word of knowledge God gave you many years ago, and you never took it seriously. Because one thing I've also come to realize is that when God gives you a word and he calls you, you've got to show to him that you're really, you really want this. And in wanting that and making that resolve, then he will order your steps and he will bring to pass what he said he will do in your life because he is faithful. So thank you so much for your time and the Lord bless you. And we're looking forward to great and amazing things that he will do through you and the church in years to come. Thank you so much for having me. So, actually, thank you. I've got a short video clip that I think will be wonderful for us to watch. It's a, a, a video clip of somebody whose life has been impacted by compassion. And then once we're done with this, um, Steve will come over. Projector's decided to turn itself off. Of course it has. If Dora can narrate the video and I'll act it out, I'll mime it. Look, here's a child who needs sponsorship.